Publisher Podcast, episode 111. This week, we're continuing our conversation that we started last week about using our books as tools for activism and social justice and bringing forward messages of importance. This week, you'll hear from Dr. Tamika Ellington about her decision to write her book and all the reasons behind it, even though this was a big departure from what she normally uh, focuses on, writes about, and what her business is about. So it's a fantastic interview. I know you will enjoy it. If you haven't already been over, check out all of our events at womeninpublishingsummit.com forward slash events. And don't forget to grab your ticket while they're on early bird pricing. You can save $100 off the full price now to join us in our upcoming pre-conference events. We have multiple workshops happening in November, December, January, and February that are only available to ticket holders for the 2024 conference. So go save $100, grab your ticket at womeninpublishingsummit.com, and we will see you in one of our pre-conference events. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book. Hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Cause I've been where you've been, and I felt what you're feeling, and I don't want to get in your way. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Publish Her podcast. Today, we're going to be doing an author story, which I really enjoyed digging into the background on why people publish their books, the important things that they're talking about, and the way that they make an impact on the world with their words, uh, digging into not only the story and background behind this book, but also asking some questions on what our other authors can learn from how to put a book of this nature into the world. So we have Dr. Tamika Ellington, who is CEO and founder of Dr. Tamika Ellington Enterprises, a personal, professional, and spiritual wellness company. She's a speaker, internationally acclaimed and awarded fashion scholar and professional development strategist. She's the author of four books, including the award-winning book, Textures, The History and Art of Black Hair, written for its namesake, uh, exhibition co-curated by Dr. Tamika, featuring artifacts and contemporary artworks musing on black hair and black culture. Her fifth book, Black Hair in a White World, was released summer 2023 with Kent State University Press. So welcome to the show, uh, Dr. Tamika. We're so excited to have you here with us today and to uh, get your knowledge on all the things that you are doing. Nice. Thank you so much for having me, Alexa. I appreciate. So, oh yes, yeah, so glad to have you. I mean, you have such an interesting background with the with the professional and spiritual wellness company, but then you have this big line of books, which I think is fascinating too. And what we see sometimes with a lot of people, um, and I've seen this with other entrepreneurs and business owners too, is you may have one business over here, but then you have your topic of passion or the thing that you're really, really. Uh, committed to bringing into the world. And it looks like that's what you've done. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your story and how you, how you've developed these things and then the books? Yeah, my, my background is in fashion design. So I uh, am a fashion designer by trade. I worked in the fashion industry for several years and then decided that teaching was a calling that I had and uh, started working for Kent State University, uh, teaching fashion design. And while I was there, 
uh, discovered that I needed to figure out what my line of inquiry was going to be as a as an academic. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I pulled back from my master's thesis uh, project that I had completed, uh, and that was all about black hair and self-esteem. At that particular time, when I wrote my thesis, um, there was this what we call this uh, natural hair movement that was happening in the early 2000s. And I really wanted to have a better understanding of women that were deciding to wear their hair natural, what uh, level of self-esteem and what were their perceptions of their hair and and that kind of thing. And so it then morphed into almost, you know, 15, 20 years of research that I continue to do, uh, publishing uh Um, journal articles, uh, peer-reviewed journal articles, um, encyclopedia articles about uh, African-American dress and hair, um, Mm -hmm. then led to the exhibition Textures, the History and Art of Black Hair, which was an amazing show that I, you know, had the honor of being a part of, um, and then morphed into this latest book, uh, Black Hair in a White World. So I've been doing this research about Black beauty, Black hair, um, Black um, body image, for quite some time now. It's such an interesting topic. And as I shared with you on our email exchange before this interview, like, I mean, I'm a white woman. This is something I would have never even thought about. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't think about the things that don't impact you on a regular basis, unless people come into your lives that share this. And uh, a good friend of mine from uh, middle school and high school actually um, is a lawyer and, and has been very active and engaged in some of the legal background on this because of the impact that hair has had on so many things. I mean, it's it's wild when you dig into this topic that you don't even think about. And I had interviewed her on my podcast for moms to talk about this topic because I was so like, oh my gosh, I never even thought about these things. And at the time there was a big movement. Um, if you can recall the the young um, high school student who was forced to cut off his dreads at a wrestling oh, yeah. match. Oh, absolutely. And and we're all like, what in the world? So we started talking about this and, and it, it opened up my eyes. So, you know, that that in itself, we could have an entire podcast episode oh, yeah. about. Oh, yeah. But I'd like to hear about this book in particular of the, the black hair in a white world and, and why this book? What what led you to this particular book and what is it that you're trying to accomplish with it? So one of the things that I want to accomplish with the book is to just show the complexity of what I call the black hair phenomenon. Um, like, as you mentioned, a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of people that are non-black people don't understand what this thing is about. Yes. I remember when I first started this journey of wanting to do research about black hair, I got questioned all the time, like, well, what exactly are you going to be researching? What exactly? And why is this significant? And, you know, all that thing. And one one of the things that I really want to show with this book is the complexity, the the, the layers mm-hmm. that are involved in this idea of black hair. And so in Black Hair in a White World, we discuss uh, topics such as history. Mm-hmm. We discuss topics uh, such as social sciences, self-esteem. We discuss the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is advertisements? Um, what is um, like books, commercials, those kinds of things that cater to little kids. What are they saying about black hair? So it's a, it's a, 
I just want people to see the depth of yes. why this topic is so important. And that's why uh, the book is actually an anthology. And so that's the reason why I chose that format so that also people can see that this is not just something that yes. Dr. Sita is yes. experiencing. This is a global issue that many, many people have uh, been dealing with and still continue to deal with. Yeah. I mean, some of the conversations that, that, that the original conversation with Wendy led me to have with other um, people is like, um, there was an author that wrote a children's book about natural hair and and uh, styling it in a way that was more natural and doing things and conversations around just like the amount of time spent in the hairdressing chair trying to either straighten hair or braid hair all of the things that that were ha- that the time and the pain the physical pain the emotional pain the self esteem all of that stuff with trying to make your hair look a certain way and all of this like it was really eye opening and for our listeners that are hearing this and have no idea about the complexity of this topic i really encourage you to get educated about it i encourage you to check out this book because especially if you have friends of color this may be something they've never shared with you and yet is such a big part of of your lives from what I've gathered from the women that I have spoken with. And it was really from a compassion level and an empathy and an understanding level was really eye opening to me, Um, which leads us into the next question, which is, you know, this is books and resources of this nature can be such an important tool in helping us create empathy, create knowledge, create understanding. Yep. I'm assuming that was a big piece of what you wanted oh, to yeah. do as well. So oh, yeah. tell us yeah, about that. Absolutely. Even with um, the exhibition that I curated, Textures, the History and Art of Black Hair, and we actually created a book um, from that exhibition. And part wow. of the, the big push for Textures was to to be able to display the humanness in Black beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why that was so important is, as we know, um, throughout history, Black people have been seen as less than human. And so um, it's really important for me that this book not only gets in the hands of other Black people, but it gets in yeah. the hands of people that are non-Black. Because of the fact that we're still dealing with this. And this is not just a black issue. This is a this is a an Americanized issue, because honestly, the issues wouldn't be the way that they are if we didn't have situations like with colonization and these kinds of things, because that's where these that's where these things stem from. Because of the fact that we have racism in the world, hair goes along with that. Um, Black people are the only ones on the planet that have hair the way that they have it. And Mm. so the discrimination that we face based on skin color is also something that we face based on our hair texture. And so it's really important that not only, like I said, not only black people get their hands on this book, but people that are non-black so that we can begin to uh, to really bring awareness to the humanness in black beauty, as well as to create empathy. I I just, I think it's really important. Um, When you humanize someone beyond what you see face to face, and when you learn their stories, and to me, like, that's such a beautiful thing, not only in the written, written form, but also extended to screenwriting, to um, TV shows, to movies and the things that they're doing. And it's, you know, it's, it's been very impactful for me to listen and to hear these stories and to understand that what I see as my world is not always the whole picture. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I think it's, it's a beautiful thing what you're doing. Um, and it's, it's necessary to be able to, to your point for both sides of the story for, for, um, for, for the black culture to understand where it came from, how it evolved, the different things that are happening, but also for the, the, the white culture to say, okay, there are, there are things that, challenges and things that this community faces that we don't and maybe we could have a little more insight and knowledge before making decisions like your hair has to be bound in a certain way or has to be those types of of of, of decisions that impact children and adults every yeah. single day yeah when you decided to write this book i'm really curious like what has been that outcome of it? Are you seeing good things? Are you having backlash in a way that you didn't expect? I hope not. I hope you're only seeing good, but what's coming from it? I haven't seen any backlash. Um, Excellent. (laughs) What I have seen though, is like what you're describing where people saying, oh, I didn't even know that this was an issue. Yes, That's what I've been seeing the the most. Um, And to me, that gives people the, the, that now that people know you have a choice to make. Yes. Yes. Now that you know that this is an issue, you have a choice to make. Either you're going to stay where you are and just ignore it and act like it doesn't exist, or you're going to dive in and find out how you can be an ally. Yes. Okay. So, um, the, the, the results that I've gotten or the feedback that I've gotten from the book has been wonderful. Um, many people have been ex- excited about the book. Um, just like with, uh, the textures book, people were very excited about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, you know, the biggest thing that I got was just people saying, oh, I didn't even realize this was an issue, mm-hmm. but now, you know, now, you know, now you have a choice to make. When, if there's someone listening to this, that is thinking about taking on a topic of a uh, community interest or advocacy or even social justice or any of those where the goal of the book really is to have an impact on people's understanding of a topic. Do you have any advice on how to best move forward with that project? Oh, yeah. Um, One of the things that you can do is to maintain authenticity. Mm. Because when you're talking about any kind of social justice topic, the truth is the truth is the truth. So you have to make sure that you always stand in the truth and that you stand in authenticity. Um, when I was in the process of um, not just writing this book, but then transitioning from being a scholar to now a full-time entrepreneur where I um, do speaking engagements and um, you know professional development workshops and things like that centered on um, confidence, um, learning more about black um, beauty policies that can be written for corporate offices around this topic and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, It's become a situation where I have to show up as authentic as possible because it's, it's such a touchy subject and it will be easy for me to cower back and and not be a hundred percent authentic in the message um, just because of the fact that it's still such a controversial topic but for me, I think the success comes in, into play when I show up as my authentic self. So anytime anybody is wanting to write about any kind of social justice 
issue, I recommend that you talk about the truth and only the truth and then show up authentically. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. From a marketing perspective, how are you? What is your I mean, you have your you're a professor, you are running your your own wellness company and doing other things. I think you also do coaching and some a number of other yeah. a, a number of other things. So how does how does this book fit into your overall business growth plan and is it something, I guess the, the bigger question is, is this a passion project that you just wanted to get out into the world? Or is this something that you are trying to take to the next level? Yeah, it's something that I'm taking to the next level. And really what it is, is it's morphed into what the mission of my business is. The main mm-hmm. mission of my business is to work with Black women and girls building confidence and leadership, self-esteem, mm. that kind of thing. And that, and like, as you can see, there's a close connection to this. Yes, right? yes, yes. <laughs> a very close connection to this. So um, the way that I've been marketing the book is really been social media. Um, I have been, you know, code emailing different universities and organizations to, you know, promote uh, the book and get myself on speaking stages and things like that. So I just had a meeting this morning with the university that wants to have me come in February to talk um, about the book and, and that kind of thing. So that's been the main way that I've been marketing is just been emailing universities, telling them about the book and asking if they would like to um, host uh, me as a speaker, maybe they might want to use the book as reference material in their courses and that kind of thing. So yeah, that's been the main crux of it. And I think when you have a book that is centered on academia in some kind of way, yeah, it just, it makes sense to go the direction of, you know, of what other yeah. academics might, you know, want to see. But this book, even though it is a research type of book or scholarly book, it's it's something that not only scholars are going to want to read, but other people, lay what we call lay people, are going to want to read it too. But um, the main crux of the people that I've been reaching out to have been universities and colleges. Yeah, uh, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have any plans for beyond the academic um, place, like uh, any other type of speaking engagements? Or this is one of the things that I often like to dig into with people who have a speaking background is because I think it's a place where people who've written books of this nature or nonfiction books, or even fiction books that have a social justice setting to them, like how do you get out and market those books? And, you know, you've got the university piece, but then what else? How do you form relationships with the organizations? How do you make sure people know about it so that you can have these conversations? Right. So the next step beyond universities and colleges is me connecting with women's organizations. Uh, So, yeah. So nonprofit organizations, um, also to um, corporate offices that have ERG groups and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, I've been connecting with them to let them know about the work and to really let them know that my main focus is not just to teach about black body image, but to also discuss this idea of confidence and how it can show up in the corporate space and what that looks like, you know, for um, employees that are, um, that are black employees. Um, So that's been another way for me to um, extend, uh, extend that beyond academia. I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, I also would tell you, not tell you, I would also ask, or I don't even know, like I, my thought process is, I think the athletic world is a world that would benefit from this greatly too, especially in communities with either 
hardly any people of color, black communities, or a lot where the decisions are still being made by people who don't understand and know that. Cause I know, I mean, that, that instance where the kid uh, had to, the, the young man had to cut off his dreadlocks, like that would have never been demanded of a white kid. It just mm-hmm. wouldn't have been. Nobody would have ever said in order for you to continue wrestling because your hair is too long or too, whatever they were saying, you have to cut off all your hair right now. That would never happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know that it was necessary. I don't know all the things in the background. So this is just me as a human speaking here. I don't think it necessarily came from a place of ugliness as much as it came from a place of just lack of knowledge and understanding. I hope, I hope that's, I hope that's, you know, the thing is that it wasn't, it could have come from a place of just ugliness, which is just horrific. But I think that the more people understand and when it comes to athletics, where there may be things where hair has to be pulled back in a certain way or in a swim cap or all these other places. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just my thought thinking about that one particular situation, but it sounds yeah. like you have a good plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, again, it's a, it's a topic that goes into lots of different areas yeah. of our community, of our, of our society that, you know, many people don't think of. And that's one of, one of the reasons why still, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to put this out there, but we still in the United States, we still only have 28 states that have passed the Crown Act. Really? Yes. And so for those of you that don't know what the Crown Act is, Crown is an acronym for creating a respectable and open world for natural hair. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's it's important that we not hold back on this. We still have. 22 states that are still saying no, that are staying, still saying we don't understand the significance of this. Um, and unfortunately, my state, Ohio, is one of those states. Mm. Um, so we are still in the process of trying to figure out how to get all states across the U.S. to yeah. adopt this law. And the, por- the, the reason why this is important is because the Crown Act will make it so that it's um it's unlawful for organizations institutions to discriminate against black people because of their hair right and, so, and, the re- and the reason why that's important is because not only the young man that you were talking about in athletics who um ha- faced the the situation that he faced but also to black people are not getting jobs right black people are not getting promoted uh Students, other students are being told that they can't go to their prom because of their choice to wear their hair. They're being wow, yeah, wow, yeah. So it's a major issue. It's a major issue, and so the Crown Act really is just a way for the United States to say, "Okay, I'm an ally." You know, mm-hmm. I, I I understand what's going on with you, and we we want to make sure that this is not a reason why you will be right. discriminated against. You right. know, but unfortunately there's people are real slow to, to adopt. Well, I'm going to put a link in the show notes for anybody who is interested in this topic and digging into more of it. I know that I found, I, I was just blown away as I started learning about these things because they're just, none of it 
impacts me ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just had no knowledge base and it's really given me a different um, level of compassion and empathy and just something to consider as well when, when looking at the people around um, and what's going on in their lives and how their lives are impacted. So I'm going to put in some links. I'm going to put in an old podcast interview that I did with my friend, Wendy Green, who has been instrumental in the Crown Act. And I could not be more proud of her and her and her all the efforts that she has done in this. We'll put in some links to the Crown Act as well. Obviously, we'll put in the link to your book. And um, you know, we have a lot of people in our community that are interested in topics of of so- social justice, not only bringing forth their own, but in sharing other people's words of into the world as well. So, you know, if if you're in that community and this is a topic of interest to you or something you'd never heard of, please, you know do Dr. Tamika the honor of getting her book or or recommending her book into communities that may be well served by this uh, level of understanding. Um, Yeah. I mean, the knowledge is power. That's knowledge is power. And, and, and some of the things that we talk about too, and that, that I fully believe is that the more you know about someone else's situation, the more, you can be so much more compassionate about so many other things happening around you because the natural instinct, I'm sorry, I'm on a little soapbox here, but the natural instinct for someone who's not impacted by an issue is to say, that's not a real thing. Yeah. That's not a problem. Yeah. Please. It's just hair. Yeah. Well, I mean, so to get into the stories and to hear these stories, it's critical, but also the knowledge and understanding of where it came from. It's just, I can't, I, I'm I'm grateful to people who are brave enough. And I do think this is brave to take on a topic and to say that here's here's the real story, you know, be educated. Yep. Yeah. Um and I else, now that I'm off my soapbox. Well, I appreciate you saying that because it's better it's better that you said it than I said it. Uh, of course. That that's also a, that's a true that's a true fact. It's a it's a sad but true fact is that we do learn and and What's the word I want to say here? We trust, we trust information that comes from people that are like us. Mm-hmm. And that's not good or bad. That's just that's what it is. It's human nature. Exactly. Human and nature. yeah. So, okay. Um, any other advice that you have for authors who are taking on challenging topics or, um, or, or want or have a story in them from something that they went through or the impacts their lives that they want to share about. You did an anthology. I'd I'd love to know like um, how that process went, how you got the other stories and and people involved. Yeah. um, I, I'll talk about two things here. So um, the first is uh, the anthology. Um, Once I made the announcement to friends of mine and colleagues of mine that I wanted to put together an anthology, they started sending me people who had (laughs) been doing research about black hair. And since I was a scholar in this field, I had already seen other scholars who had been doing this research and that I admired their work. And I said, you know what, I would love to work with them. So I just reached out and told them what I was doing and they jumped on board or, you know, whatever, or either recommended somebody who could jump on board. Um, One of the things that I realized about, um, being an editor for an anthologist is that it takes a lot of organizational skills. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> it takes a lot of organizational skills. It takes a lot of persuasion. Uh-huh. I became a, I became a pretty good persuader. Um, 
<laughs> um, it takes a lot of people having faith in you um, because this project, uh, Black Hair in a White World, it took about almost four years to write this book. Wow. Yeah. Um, part of the issue with the time frame was because it happened during COVID. You yes. know, so, so COVID took a, you know, it made it take a back seat for quite some time and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, um, if you want to write an anthology, you got to bump up those organizational skills and you got to bump up your people skills for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then, and then the second thing that I'll talk about is um, the other books that I've written are um, professional development, personal development books. Um, my very first book that I wrote uh, was Make Fear Your Superpower, which is a memoir um, about various kinds of fears that we face. And um, I talk about my stories and how I was able to maneuver through many of those fears. And so for anybody that's looking to write some kind of a personal development book or memoir, um, one of the things that I would say is don't discuss topics that you haven't gotten over and through yet. Oh, wow. That's that's really good advice. That's really because you come from it when you're still processing, you come from things from a very different place. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. if you're not and if you're not really ready for people to know or not really ready to put it all the way out there, then I would say don't talk about it. I love that advice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let that one, let that one simmer for just a second, because but I, yeah. you know, and so many of us are so. I would say to to that point, as someone who started the, uh, writing about grief and loss, I think there are some exceptions. I think that some sometimes to to the most to the most point, I agree with you, especially when it comes to memoirs and topics of this nature, where you have to pull yourself back a little bit and give mm-hmm. a more objective view. I started with a book on grief and loss. And um, sometimes I think you can get away with going in at those a little bit earlier. However, I could have never made a speaking career out of it at that point in time, because I couldn't talk to people without breaking into tears mm-hmm. for years, you know, so now having some, some, some distance and some space, I can, you know, open up about those topics more. So I think that's, yep. that's great advice. Yeah. Well, I am just, I am, I'm always proud to advocate for somebody who is out there advocating for compassion, understanding, and knowledge of people in our community. And goodness knows the last four or five, five, six years, I don't even know we're in a time warp now, have just been um, really straining. Yeah. And um, and so I, I love I love projects that are are put in place to help people understand, to grow, and hopefully become better humans out of uh, out of their knowledge and understanding. And also, you know, to your point about the dual community, also having things that give people a sense of pride and knowledge and understanding that's so important too. So thank you for for making the world a better place with your with your book and your um, tool to help people know and grow and understand. And where you know, I, I'd love to give you an opportunity just quickly to talk about how you work because you work with more business owners or uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, you work you work with um, well inside of your community of the leadership and growth and development. Do you have a specific audience that you're looking at for that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the majority, the, the main crux of my audience is black women and girls. Yes. Um, but the like I would say if I had to say secondary, the secondary audience for me would be uh, organizations, corporate offices, five Fortune 500 companies that have ERG groups that are geared towards women. 
Okay, great. And yeah. where is the best place for people to find you to learn more about all of the things? Um, I'm on all social media platforms. So LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, people can connect with me. Um, I will provide my LinkedIn, uh, my um, Linktree link uh, that you can use to um, put in the show notes. And my on the Linktree, you can find everything about me there. My website is there. Um, where you can purchase my books is there. Um, so you'll be able to find everything. Perfect. So it's Dr. Tamika Ellington, and I will include all of this information in the show notes, which you can get to over at womeninpublishingsummit.com. Look for the podcast tab and you will see all of these episodes and show notes. Um, and so I just really appreciate you taking time out to talk about this, to give advice to new and aspiring authors or authors who are established and ready to go a different direction. Um, I just, I hope we never come to a place where books stop being wonderful tools for the world. I know, I know. know. I'm hoping that 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 day does not come as well, especially for people like myself who um, I love to read and I love to write. And it would just be ashamed, you know, for us to lose this art because it really and truly is an art, right? I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. And um, I look forward to, to seeing what comes out of all of this. So keep us informed. I will. Thank you so much, Alexa. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. You don't have to give me your heart. You don't have to give it away. You don't Thank you for joining us on the Publisher Podcast. We hope to see you back for the next episode. Great huge thanks goes to Jasmine Commerce for the use of her song. You can find Jasmine on SoundCloud. Go check out all of her music. We'll see you next time.